Welcome. Welcome to the porch. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, focusing on the Book of Acts Church like we're doing right now. We're here to take a deeper look at how they served the Lord to restore the priesthood of the believer and the world-shaking influence that they had. And we do that by following their example and by not watering down or changing what the Word says. And in doing that, we will find the church that the Lord intended, the one he created, and not the one we have right now, steeped in man-made tradition. Church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. You may have celebrated the historical event this past weekend, but the fire still falls. It has not stopped. The church age goes on, and so does Pentecost. The porch is an outreach, Solomon's Porch, Inc. on solomonsporch.org, or you can contact us at firefalltalkradio.com. There are ways to support what we do. Thank you to everyone that does support us. We greatly appreciate it. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site, spreaker.com, user Firefall Talk Radio, one word at the end there. Subscribe. You'll know when things are being posted, when shows are going up. We still have the Blog Talk account, so thank you to those listeners, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. Six weeks away from our meeting in Orlando. Hope you're getting excited. I am. Saturday, July 27th, the Rosen Inn Point, Orlando, 9000 International Drive, Orlando, Florida. If you're going to come in and stay overnight or stay a couple of days and enjoy our wonderful city here, call 800-999-8585. Tell them you're attending the C Conference. Booking ID is 68136. We have a tremendous rate of $79 plus tax. During that period of time, it will be two to three times that amount without this deal. That rate is good until July 5th. So if you're coming or you're considering coming, Book it now, and then you can always cancel at the last minute. But why would you cancel? Just come. Spend the day with us, or at least the afternoon and the evening. We're going to have a really interesting time, and I believe the fire is going to fall. If you're coming, let us know. Go to firefallmediagroup.com or our Facebook page, facebook.com, Firefall Media Group. Or you can email us at firefallmediagroup at gmail.com. Say, I'm coming. Save me a seat. And we pray that everyone who's supposed to be there attends. This is the time. I'm not sure what the Lord's exactly going to do beside what he's having me teach on, but I believe that this is going to be a trigger event for the remnant. We need to pray for Iran. You know that there are believers, there are born-again believers in Iran who are being persecuted. Any Muslim who leaves their faith is charged with apostasy, they're thrown in jail, or worse, they're killed. Pray for the laws to change and allow freedom of religion for that to happen. The leadership must change. All the churches that held services in Iran have been closed in recent years. Their leaders arrested and Christians put into prison. They are meeting secretly, so pray for them to be hidden and for them to be a witness to the others in their surrounding culture. Open Doors Ministry is asking for specific prayer right now for an Iranian house leader and a member of his church who were convicted. They appealed. Convictions were upheld. Iranian house leader Saheb Fadei and 37-year-old Fatima Bakhtari 
They have been sent to prison for 18 months and 12 months, respectively. And the House leader, Saheb, is serving an additional two years in what they call internal exile, a uh, more severe punishment given to political prisoners. They were convicted of spreading propaganda against the regime. So pray for them. Pray that they would be released and God would move on their behalf. Well, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and praise reports and prayer requests. My brain was thinking about them being in prison and what they're suffering for their faith. They were given an opportunity by the judge to renounce their faith in Jesus, in Yeshua, and they immediately refused. I praise the Lord that there are people that have a faith like that. I praise them for my salvation to be a part of that family of faith. I praise them for this home for my wife, for our sons and daughter-in-laws and our grandson who turned one yesterday. What a blessing from God he is. We are fearfully and wonderfully made, and he is incredibly wonderfully made. I praise him for his protection over all of us, this ministry that he lets me work, for the dreams and the visions, which I know I say that there have been many, but they're nonstop. If I even just take a nap, um, they're happening. I praise him for his healing virtues that are moving right now in each and every one of us. I praise him that we are in a country that we can do this. Nobody's coming to kick in our doors or stop us, at least not just yet, and we're going to keep doing it while we can. So praise him. Praise him for your salvation, for being a new creation, and living in these prophetic end times. Yes, I said it, end times. Praise him for America. With all the things that are wrong, there are so many things that are right, and I believe it's the best place in the world to be. For the signs that he's getting ready to return. Are you ready? I am, but let's get ready. Let's get other people ready. Praise him for his favor and the revelation and all the things that he's been sharing with me. And my brother Larry from SRT, we're praying almost daily, and the Lord has really, really been opening our eyes and sharing inside information. It's exciting. So let's pray. Let's pray for the Middle East. Let's pray for Israel and the peace of Jerusalem, which means the return of the Prince of Peace. Things are going on there. I'm expecting some kind of major shift over the next two months, so keep that in prayer. Pray for the fatherless, the widows, the innocents in and out of the womb, both human and furry, for the victims of injustice. We live in an unjust world because Asatan is the god of this world. So we pray against that injustice. We pray for our brothers and sisters like we've talked about, being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. Pray against the slaughter of the innocents. Boy, it just seems like it gets worse. State after state, passing one worse abortion law after another. Let me just state this clearly. If you claim to be a believer in Jesus of Nazareth and you support abortion, you better open your Bible and look in a spiritual mirror, because I say you cannot. Anti-Semitism on the rise, the hate of anything of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the Father of Jesus of Nazareth, has increased. Debauchery, sin, what we're being subjected to on the airwaves, the the young girls and the young boys and the women that are being kidnapped and forced into sex trafficking, the sex industry. I mean, it's ugly. I know it's not easy to listen to or to talk about it, 
But we must acknowledge that this there's a darkness in this world, and we have the light that dispels that darkness. Pray for divine wholeness, health, and healing in all of us, getting back to our divine design. Yes, things have been passed on. Yes, we suffer for the sins of our family back to four generations, but we are supposed to be new creations. When we became born again, something was supposed to happen, I believed, on a cellular level. So we are in the process right now of activating that in Jesus' name. Pray for the sick. Pray for protection. That's Psalm 91 covering of all of us right now as we're listening and in the days ahead. And that those that have been blessed would bless others and the remnant would wake up. Wake up, remnant. You hear that alarm clock that says wake up. Rise up. Answer the call to action. We have a job to do. Let's go out and do it. Continue to pray for healing and um, restoration for my wife and an unspoken prayer request of an ongoing legal matter. Continue to pray for Larry's wife, Sally, in North Florida as she heals from her knee replacement surgery. Stacy in Texas asked for an unspoken prayer request for her and her family. Um, calling for somebody to intercede for Stacy and her family, make that a commitment. Kim in Fort Mitchell says she's doing good, praises God for his love and his protection, praises him for saving her soul and for her continued sobriety. She praises him for her children and her furry kid, Bruno, praises him for everything that he provides, their needs. Praise him for this ministry and her friend Stacy asking for prayer for Stacy and her children to give her strength and to guide her. She says, Father, deliver and protect my children as well as myself. Heal our brokenness and give us the courage to help others. Help me to grow in my spirit, protect my family, praying for blessings and favor for my family and the porch families. In Jesus' name. Now, right about here, I would go right into the prayer, but I want to share something with you. It ties into what we're talking about, and then we'll go into prayer. You know, I talk a lot about the global church. Well, Lee Grady wrote um, a blog for Charisma Magazine, and it was the ways that global Christianity is different from America's church. And I just cut and pasted one section. This is what he said. Spiritual hunger is intense. No matter where I go in the developing world, I find that people are desperate for God's presence. At one church I preached at in Barranquilla, Colombia, more than a thousand people packed a church service for a 6 a.m. service. And when I preached at a church in rural Uganda, people couldn't find a seat in the church, put chairs outside the window, and sat in the hot sun to hear God's word. That would never happen in our comfortable American bubble. Most global churches rely on the supernatural power of God. No matter where I go overseas, Christians line up for prayer for healing. Miracles are common, and it's normal for someone to receive deliverance from a demon with screaming in a Sunday service. In the United States, we prefer strobe lights with wide screens and cool graphics instead of unscripted bursts of Pentecostal power. We have our schedule to follow. We want things to be neat and tidy. We don't want the sudden, messy interruptions of the Holy Spirit. Well, Brother Lee, I agree with you about the church, but not here on the porch. 
We we don't have a problem with messy interruptions of the Holy Spirit. Not with SRT. Nope, nope, nope. Not Firefall. We welcome it. So, Father, we just praise you right now for the messy interruptions where you set the captives free, where demons are cast out, people are healed, they're saved and delivered. We thank you for your love. We thank you for Yeshua. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the blood. We thank you for the resurrection. We thank you for the upper room. We thank you, thank you, thank you for everything that you are and everything that you're doing for us. Let your fire rise up inside of us. And if somebody doesn't have it, Lord, hit them with it. Fill them with it from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet, hitting them, heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, changing them and remaking them into what you want them to be, what you need them to be, what they want to be. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing that job. Thank you for walking with us and encouraging us. Right now, we clear our minds. We get ready. We get ready to receive. We get ready to go. We get ready to run. We get ready to fly. Because we love you, Lord, and we know that the harvest is great. Labor is a few, and we're willing to double up and do double the work to get it done so that you can come back. We pray a hedge of protection around us and all that is ours around this technology. We just ask right now, Father. We just ask right now, Lord. We just ask right now, Holy Spirit. Let us have it. Let us have the fullness of your promises, your healing, your revelation, your touch. Let us have the fullness of what you have for us in this fullness of time. And I just pray all these things, and I pray that the sound of the shofar would shatter chains, open prison doors, clear minds, and set the captives free and prepare prepare us and clear the air for the word. And I just pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. Lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. Combination of that information, the matter presented is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. Well, if you can't tell, I'm a little fired up. I've been sitting here working on this today. The Lord actually wrote it this morning. And I've been reading it all day, and I've been in his presence, and I've been praying, and the fire's flowing, and and it, I think my equipment got scorched during that last prayer. I'm, I'm looking at the microphone, and I, I'm ready. I'm ready for the, the Spirit. I'm ready to do kingdom of God business. The Spirit, we've been talking about this now for weeks. We have a dead church. Let's call it what it is. It's dead. It's zombified. It's walking around. It's it's doing things. It's got motion. It's got sound, but it's dead. We need life. See, the Spirit brings life. The enemy wants death. He wants that kind of church. Spirit brings light, and the enemy wants darkness. Spirit brings love, and the enemy wants hatred. Spirit brings compassion, and the enemy wants cold-heartedness. And the Spirit brings change, and the enemy wants stagnation. He doesn't want change. But that's what the Lord came for, to change things, to fix things, 
to go and to do and to be about his father's business. How did we lose that? How did we lose that mandate? How did we lose that fire? Well, we kind of know, and we're going to talk a little bit about it, but it all begins, of course, it begins in Genesis, but and it begins with the birth of, of the Lord as Messiah, but it begins in the upper room for us and what we're talking about. But before they even get to the upper room, they're assembled. He tells them, don't leave Jerusalem, the promise of the Father, which you've heard from me, John, baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with, with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Of course, they don't know what that means. They just know he said it and they believe it, but they really don't know what's going to happen. And so what do they do? They don't ask him about that. They What they want to know is they're going to restore the kingdom to Israel. What is it about us that we're always national thinking, we're always terrestrial thinking, when our mind is not above? And he tells them it's not for you to know times or seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority. But you shall receive power, dunamis, explosive, dynamic Power from the Holy Spirit when he has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And of course, you know, as soon as he says that, he lifts off, he takes off, he rises up to the heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and suddenly they know, notice these two big guys in white apparel, angels, just chilling. Yeah, angels still, they do that. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Yeshua who was taken from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go. And they they go to Jerusalem. They're fired up. They should be, but not as much as they're going to be because they're getting ready to receive power, ability, efficiency, and might. Holy Spirit's about to come upon them. He's about to fill them, and he's about to propel them out of the upper room into Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, to do what? To tell them about Yeshua, to tell them about salvation, to tell them about the kingdom of God. This dunamis power, this power that's capable of reproducing itself like a dynamo, it doesn't go out. Stop. This is my pet peeve. People say, oh, I went to church and the fire fell and I got filled. Okay, we see that in the book of Acts. We see an infilling twice within the same group. The fire is in you. You're not getting it in. You're rising it up from within. It's being fed. It's being fueled. And it's rising up from the inside. If you are born again, name written in the Lamb's book of life, filled with the Holy Spirit, with the manifestation of the gifts and the fruit, he's in you. He's abiding in you. Turn it up. This is the, the things that pertain to life. Second Peter 1, three. His divine power, that's what this is, divine power, has been given to all of us. It, and he's given us things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by this glory and virtue. Yeah, it, it's exciting to know when he's going to return, but that's not the primary thing. It's exciting to see the signs and wonders, but that's not the primary thing. The primary thing is take the power, go do something with it. Take the gospel out. Be witnesses. Tell people. Be a living witness. Show them. That's what he did. He inspired them and he empowered them to be a faithful witness, even in the most vehement, violent opposition, like the church in Iran, like the church in China like the church in 
all these foreign places that they suffer for their faith, but they won't give up. They won't let go. That's the power that they had. That's the power that we need to testify to the truth of the gospel. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. John fourteen eighteen. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. Now, how, how is he doing that? Through the Holy Spirit that's in you, you are connected to the throne room. You are directly connected to him. There is a dynamic to the kingdom of God that should never be stagnant, should never be silent, should never be interfered with. The enemy should not even bother. He does, he will, and he will continue to do so. But the fact is he's foolish to do so. He's foolish to try to get people to renounce their faith. He's foolish to get those of us who are fired up and filled with the Spirit to back off. That's what's inside of us. The same Holy Spirit in John 16 that he says, I go away to him who sent me, and none of you ask where you're going. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper, the Parakletos, the Ruach HaKadosh, will not come to you, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. And that's what he did. He departed, spirit came, we're in business. To be what? To build buildings? No. To hold conferences? No. While they have a, a purpose, that's not the primary purpose. We are called to be witnesses everywhere, every time, every how, to take the gospel to the end of the earth. They were persecuted. Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the Jewish believers, the Messianic believers of that day. He was the primary instrument through his persecution that propelled the church out to take the good news, and then he became the primary missionary to the Gentiles. See, the Holy Spirit was his source of missionary effort. That's the dynamics. This machine, it's moving, it's changing. It's self-propelling. Yes, self-propelling, but yet we put in all these schemes and all these plans and all these things to conjure up and stir up. Let's get back to the simplicity of this gospel. If we keep his commandments, the Holy Spirit will abide with us forever. Permanent residence. The spirit of truth. The world can't receive it because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. And he dwells with you and will be in you. And when this helper comes, who's being sent from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of Yeshua and Yeshua alone. No other man will he testify about. He won't tell you a lie. And it's to our advantage that he did this. The Holy Spirit will not speak in his own authority. He'll only speak what he hears from the throne room. He'll only say what glorifies the Lord. John 14, John 15, John 16. If you want to learn this, if you want to get this, stay in those areas. These are the dynamics of the kingdom of God. What what does that mean, dynamics? Well, in physics, it's a branch of mechanics that deals with forces in the relation to motion, but also to the equilibrium of bodies. It's a pattern of process of change, of growth, of, of, of activity. It's a variation and a contrast of, of force or intensity. 
like music. We're music. We're living music. Workers such as Stephen and Phillips, they were dynamic in their faith. They were dynamic in their ministry, filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching with his power. Acts 6, and uh, chapter 6 through 8. And, of course, Stephen's, boy, I'm going to have to slow down because I don't think I can talk in English. Ha, nah, just going to let it go. Let it rip. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Yep, that was his dynamic. He was the first martyr of the church, and he set in motion a chain of events that changes Saul the persecutor into Paul the apostle. His death and Paul's persecution of the church after his death forced the book of Acts believers out of Jerusalem and into the surrounding areas. Philip, first de- one of the first seven deacons of the church, powerful evangelist. He takes over Stephen's ministry. He's primarily a Hellenistic, a Greek-speaking Jewish believer, one of the first to take the, the gospel out on the road outside the borders of Judaism. He takes the gospel to Samaria where his ministry is blessed. That's Acts 8. He goes to Samaria. He's preaching the Messiah to them. The multitudes are hearing what he's saying, and they're seeing the miracles which he's doing them in Acts 5 through 13. Acts 8, 5 through 13. Demons are screaming and coming out with a loud voice of people that are possessed. People that are paralyzed and lame are being healed. This is happening from his preaching. And there's great joy. Always great joy happens. Signs and wonders follow the word, and great joy happens. But in the midst of this, there's a man named Simon, a sorcerer. He had astonished the people of Samaria. He was someone great. They, they said this is a man with the great power of God. He astonished them with his magic and his sorceries. But when they believed Philip and the things that he preached concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, both men and women were baptized. And then in verse 13, Simon himself also believed. He baptized and continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs that were being done. Holy Spirit dynamics bring change. And so what happens? There's a rocking and rolling ministry. Things are, things are happening. People are getting saved, healed, and delivered. And an angel of the Lord tells Philip to leave. Now you would think, wait a second here. We've got a flourishing ministry. Things are happening. This is not the time to take me out of here. But that's exactly what the angel does. And Philip is obedient. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and proceed southward on the mid or midday on the road. By the way, nobody travels on those roads at midday because how hot it was. That runs from Jerusalem down to Gaza. This is the desert route. So he gets up and he goes. And what happens? An Ethiopian eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopian. He's in charge of all her treasures. He has come to Jerusalem to worship, but now he's returning home. He's sitting in his chariot. And he's reading the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 53 to be exact, the Messianic chapter. And then the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go forward, speak to him. So Philip 
runs up to him. The chariot's going slow enough so the eunuch can read. So he runs up, catches up to him, knows what he's reading. He says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? Eunuch's smart enough, to, doesn't ask him, how do you know what I'm reading? He says, how is it possible for me to do so unless someone explains it to me and guides me? And so Philip comes up, sits beside him, and the scripture that he's at is like, like a sheep who was led to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is dumb, so he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. He has taken away our distressing and oppressive judgment and justice was denied him. Who can describe or relate in the full wickedness of his generation? For his life will be taken from the earth and a bloody death inflicted upon him. I'm reading the Amplified here. And so the eunuch looks at Philip and says, Tell me, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And so Philip opens his mouth. Remember the Lord said, Don't worry about what you'll say in that day, for the Holy Spirit will speak through you. Philip opens his mouth, and the Spirit begins to speak through him. Beginning with this portion of Scripture, he takes him through the Scriptures. He takes him through the Gospel. He shows him that the Scripture is talking about Jesus of Nazareth, whom was just crucified this past Passover in Jerusalem. And the eunuch says, uh, what's to hinder me from being baptized? Let's, let's just do it. I want to be baptized. I believe. That's easy evangelism, isn't it? I believe. And Philip says, well, if you believe with all your heart that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah, and you accept him as your Savior, and you are obedient, you may. Do you believe that Jesus, the Messiah, Yeshua HaMashiach, is the Son of God? And the eunuch's answer is he tells the chariot to stop. And he said, hey, there's some water. Let's get it done. And he gets baptized. He says, it comes up out of the water, and the Spirit of the Lord takes Philip out of there. Boom. He's translated. He's gone. Eunuch doesn't see him, and he goes on his way rejoicing. That's revival. And what, is hap- what happens is he goes from the massive evangelism in Samaria to the supernatural event with the eunuch, and then Philip is taken out of there. He goes to um, Azotus or Ashad and preaches the good good news until he reaches Caesarea, and he retires. (laughs) That's it. He doesn't build a ministry. He doesn't become famous. He does what the Spirit shows him to do with the dynamics of the kingdom of God. Unnamed eunuch, an official of the court of, of Ethiopia. He serves Candace the queen. And by the way, Candace is not her name. It's her title. The queen that was in power at that time was Amentare. This is about, about uh, she's in power from 25 to 41 A.D. So that's who he serves. He is her right-hand person. He handles the money. This is a well-respected man. So what do you think he's going to do? What do you think he's going to do? Is he's going to take the gospel to Ethiopia. And he traveled home, and he met Philip, and there he is. He's on his way home. It's happening. The Spirit is moving. Dynamics are happening. And so the Spirit takes him out of there. He's no longer there. He's gone. 
and the beginning of the book of Acts church is spreading. This demonstrates to us the inclusivity of the gospel. This eunuch, by the way, is not allowed to go into the temple. He can't go inside. He's a proselyte. He has to stay outside because the fact he's been a eunuch. According to Deuteronomy, I think 21 it is, that uh, he, he can't go in. He's been forbidden to worship, but not in the kingdom of God, not in under the new covenant. He's free to go in. He's free. You see, the kingdom of God is inclusive. But that doesn't mean you bring your sin with you. That doesn't mean we accept things the way they are. What it means is that we are changed. Salvation inspires sanctification. That's kingdom of God dynamics. Inclusion doesn't exclude us from being changed from the inside out. It inspires it. And so now he's been taken out. He's going to Caesarea. And you would think that he, the quantity of the people being saved in Samaria was important. No, it wasn't. It was the quality. It was the fact that there are people to save, that out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation, kings and priests to serve our God. That's Revelation 5, 9 and 10. That's what it's about. That's what's happening. And in a day when billions of people have yet to hear the gospel in their own language or culture, we shouldn't be surprised when we see evangelism happening everywhere. We shouldn't be surprised when somebody gets a supernatural calling to go somewhere and do something. I mean, Philip does all these great things, and we don't hear about him for 20 years. We don't hear about him again until Paul's on his last journey to Jerusalem in Acts 21, and he goes to stay with with uh, Philip in his home, and Philip has four unmarried daughters who were prophetesses. Philip did his job. He set in motion a chain of events in the dynamics of the kingdom of God. Things were changed. And now he stays in the Roman seaport of Caesarea. You know he and his daughters are witnesses. You know that they're speaking to people. You know that those people are taking that word out onto their ships and back home. And then Paul. Paul gets infused with these dynamics in Acts 9. When Ananias is sent to his house to lay hands on him, and he tells him, Brother Saul, not are not Yeshua, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Growth, development, expansion of the church taking place under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. It's control of and it's a control in motion. The Holy Spirit's in control. Man's not. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants to do. You want change in your life? Then tell the Holy Spirit, have your way with me. Do as you will. Change me from the inside out. Fill me to overflowing. But you know, as this is happening, something else is going on at the same time. The interesting side story in the midst of the dynamics of the kingdom of God, the dynamics of the Holy Spirit is that there is a parallel dynamic of deception happening. Isn't that just like the kingdom of darkness? 
you know, Newton's third law of motion says this, and you would think that I wouldn't apply because I'm talking about spiritual things. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Forces always come in pair, equal and opposite. Well, if the Book of Acts Church is doing one thing with Kingdom of God dynamics, you have to believe that there are Kingdom of Darkness dynamics going on too. And we saw it. We saw it in Acts 8. We saw the beginning of a parallel movement that would counter the Book of Acts Church It would take 300 years, but it eventually would cut it off. And we're still dealing with it today. Simon the Sorcerer in Acts 8. A certain man named Simon had previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming he was someone great, someone to give heed to, from the least to the greatest. They all said, this man has great power of God. And he astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But then Philip shows up and changes all that. The kingdom of God, the name of Jesus, the Messiah. Men and women are baptized. He sees this. He figures the only way in is to be baptized too. So he gets baptized. He starts following Philip around. Peter and John hear about this in Jerusalem in verse 14 of Acts 8. So they go so they can lay hands on the people who receive the Holy Spirit because he had not yet fallen on any of them. And so they do. And people start to get filled with the Spirit. They start to prophesy. They start to do the things that the Book of Acts Church are doing. And Simon sees this, and he offers them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought the gift of God could be perished with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. For your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps he thought of your heart, that the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And Simon answered, said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things that you have spoken may come upon me. He didn't repent. He just doesn't want the outcome of what Peter says. Simon's a sorcerer. He's a showman. He's a razzle-dazzle, demon-possessed showman. He made self-exalting claims. He took advantage of what he was doing. And now things have changed. After the death, resurrection, and ascension of Yeshua, the spiritual laws changed. The power shifted. He wants to buy it. He doesn't want to serve it. He doesn't want to do what's needed to be done to have it properly. He wants to go back to the front of the line. He would bewitch people. That's what the King James Version said. And he had amazed them for a long time. He was of a long line of magi. And he wanted to be in front. He wanted to be the focus of everything. See, Philip's miracles, sick people are cured, demons are cast out under the word. Simon wants those signs. He's caught up in the signs. He doesn't want the word. He doesn't want the gospel. He doesn't want to preach. He wants the power. Folks, if you're seeking the power, if you're seeking the signs outside of the word, outside of doing what needs to be done in the kingdom of God, then you're seeking the wrong thing. 
Everybody wants a sign. Everybody wants a wonder. They did that with Jesus. Show us something. They were following him because of the miracles of the fish and loaves to be fed. They didn't really want to hear what he had to say. What's interesting is when Simon is rebuked by Peter, the original translation says something a little more, a little harsher. The original translation still points to the malignant nature of his condition, poisoned with bitterness and bound by iniquity, but the original Greek lexicon, the original Greek language says, I see a gall of bitterness and bonds of iniquity. Peter was using a Jewish idiom, a gall of bitterness. Bitterness, wormwood, a root from Deuteronomy 29. Wormwood is a poisonous, poisonous fruit. So William Ramsey in his book, Pictures of the Apostolic Church, says, Peter rebuked him in strong and prophetic terms. The prophecy is concealed in the ordinary translation. The Greek means a cause of bitterness and corruption to others. This makes it plain. Peter was uttering a prophecy by the Holy Spirit. He was telling what the Simon was to become. Not just what he was then, but what he would become. And Simon's answer in the Greek lexicon should have been, pray for me that none of the things you've spoken may come. Simon recognized that he had been cursed. A divine curse, an imprecation had been spoken over him. But there is no proof he ever repented or turned from his wickedness. He didn't want the consequences of his actions, but he also didn't want to change from them either. And the sin of buying was selling a spiritual office for money became known as simony. That's how famous his actions became in the church. So what happened to Simon Magus? What happened to the sorcerer of Acts 8? How did he become a part of a parallel counterfeit dynamics? Well, he doesn't repent. He heads to Rome. He lived during the reign of Claudius Caesar. Yes, the I, Claudius of the story is 45 AD. In the book, 100 of the World's Greatest Magician, Simon Magus was considered one of the great ones. Supposedly went to a college in Alexandria, Egypt that taught magic. He learned the science and power of electricity and how to use it in his act. Adolf Harnack, a German theologian church historian, states that Simon Magus proclaimed a doctrine in which the Jewish faith was strangely and grotesquely mixed with Babylonian myths in some Greek editions. This mysterious worship, this Babylonian mystery religion worship, contributed to gaining adherence to Simon. Many believe he introduced paganism into the church. Some believe he was the father of Gnosticism. So to do this, he had to do something else, and you're hearing it happen today in the pulpits and on YouTube and all the places in social media. He had to avoid the Old Testament. He had to say that it was allegorical, wasn't meant to be literal, and it was meant to enslave people. And since he himself 
was the eternal Elohim. Yes, that's what he declared himself. He could change scripture to fit the times. Cheated. Did we just recently have some head of a major Roman religion say that he was changing scripture? I don't know. I think it's in the news. Basically, what's happening here, at the time that the book of Acts church is rolling and growing, Satan, Hasatan, the adversary, is creating a parallel counterfeit to the church that to the undiscerning eye looks very genuine. And he does this through Simon Magus called Pater, or Father, who amalgamated all the pagan religions into one universal religion based out of Rome. The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, Justin Martyr, who was himself a Samaritan, states that Simon Magus was a Samaritan from the village Giton, relates that in the time of Claudius Caesar, Simon was worshipped as a god at Rome because of his magical powers. Early church father and teacher Jerome quotes from the writings of Simon. This is what Simon Magus believed. I am the word of God. I am the comforter. I am the almighty. I am all there is of God. He set himself up as the great deliverer and the true Messiah. He said that he had appeared as the son in Judea, as the father in Samaria, and as the Holy Ghost among the nations, but that under those names or other names he always fulfilled the same mission, which was to set free the idea, of, set the body free from the fetters of iron and proclaim salvation to all that believed in him. Folks, we hear this today through the New Age Gospel, through many people that are being promoted that this Christ consciousness was passed on from person to person, and Jesus of Nazareth was just one of many who carried it. There's a woman running for president, Marianne Williamson. That's her spiel. Simon taught that he was God the Father, he was the Son of God, he was the Holy Spirit too. And his teachings lasted through the 2nd and 3rd century, to where his sect believed that Simon was the Messiah and that any Messiah before and after him was just an incarnation of him. Even the pagan writer Celsus quotes him, testifies that that's what he taught, that he was one of many pseudo-Messiahs swarming Phoenicia and the area at that time in the middle of the second century. Irenaeus, who's from 180 A.D., talks a lot about him, but comes right out and puts him at the top of all heretics and the father of Gnosticism. He said it all began with Simon Magus. He also teaches us, Irenaeus, that Simon had priests. Yes, he established a priesthood who led lascivious lives, used magic and incantations, made love potions, and had familiar spirits who aided him by troubling people with dreams. His main theme was a supreme power and a corresponding feminine power. Of course, he was the power. But then we get in now to the feminine aspect of this. Because Simon wasn't alone. This was a team effort. Irenaeus and others tell us that he was accompanied by a consort named Helen or Helena, depending upon who writes about her. She was a converted prostitute from Tyre. Some claim he bought her. Some claim she converted to follow him. She becomes his common-law wife. And what Simon does is he claims that she's the firstborn. She's the mother of all. 
in that she is the one who created the angels. She's the one who created the lower planes of material existence and even the world. And that she was captured by the bad angels on the earth who refused to let her leave and go back to Simon the father. They trap her in a female human body. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just telling you what's taught and what's believed. And she's reincarnated as a female over and over, over for centuries. In effect, from one vessel to another, she becomes the Gnostic Sophia, which is knowledge, and by inference, the first Lilith. More likely, she's been possessed by Lilith to promote this nonsense that we're seeing and hearing today. Simon and Helena were depicted as Juniper and Minerva and worshipped in idol form. Now, what has this got to do with anything? What I'm trying to get you to understand is that any time the Spirit of God is moving, any time the Holy Spirit is moving, any time the things that we've been talking about are happening, there is a corresponding counterfeit of similar or greater passion being pushed by the fallen, by Satan and his angels, by their demonic offspring. And if you don't know how to respond to it, if you don't know what people are talking about, you just can't discount it and say, hey, that's a lie. When I was demon-possessed, I had more demonic knowledge than people had godly knowledge. And I could tie them up in knots with that knowledge. And it took somebody spirit-filled and with more knowledge than I had on both topics, Pastor Robert Shelley, that could open my eyes. In theosophical beliefs, that's Helena Blavatsky, Alice Bailey, H.G. Wells, the, the, the initiation of the New Age movement. Simon Magus provided a metaphysical basis for soul growth and self-transformation. Let, let, me, let me say something here, and if I offend you, that's no surprise. If you are looking for self-transformation outside of the Word of God, outside of the Spirit of the living God, outside of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, you have entered an area in which Satan rules and reigns. Transformation is inside out. It's not from your mind. It's not from technology. It's not from crystals or stones. Transformation is inside out. Salvation, sanctification through the Holy Spirit. But Simon taught that we were all divine. And we all, through self-discipline and meditation, could reach the divine. And superhuman powers and knowledge would happen. Yeah, through demonic possession, through the demonic transference of spirits. And he taught biblical things. He twisted scripture, saying that the world would be destroyed, but his believers would be saved from the dark forces which governed the lower planes. And after his death, yes, he did die, and they made an excuse for that, like like Helen, like all the things they incarnate from body to body. The human body can only keep them for so long. Simon's Babylonian mystery cult religion, the Universal Church of Rome, continued on. And you know what's really interesting about his followers, and this is noted both in the Church Fathers and in occult New Age and Gnostic literature, the followers of Simon cast out demons, handled snakes, laid hands on people for healing, and performed all sorts of magic rituals. 
And then they began to propagate a Gnostic account that Simon and Helen were a counterpart of another power couple, Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Well, now we know where the lies started. Now we know how that happened. And as I read about this today, about what they did and how they did it, I wondered, are these the ones that are spoken of in Matthew 7.21? Are these the ones who believe that they have followed the truth, that they know of Jesus of Nazareth but don't know him personally, they're not born again, but yet they move in the same counterfeit signs and warrant? Are these the ones that in Matthew 7.21-23 through 23, the Lord says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So this counterfeit, this parallel spiritual dynamics. You have kingdom of God dynamics. You have kingdom of darkness dynamics. They're running side by side, a counterfeit religion, counterfeit belief. And it's happening at the same time. It says some of the same things. The non-discerning, non-spirit-filled person is going to get fooled. And idolatry and fornication and other sins become a part of their practice. It's more worldly than the Book of Acts church. It's more comfortable, too. It's seeker-friendly. Is this why Paul was constantly admonishing people to live upright, sinless, sanctified lives? Because he was battling that counterfeit? Yes, he was. That's why. You know, these lies are still alive and well today. The counterfeit dynamics are still there, but that's why we, those of us who believe, those of us who know, must become active, must become understanding, must become able for the Spirit to use us because we've been set in motion by love which is set in motion compassion, which demands an action, and there we are. And so how does the book of Acts Church end? How does the chapter of the book of Acts Church end? Acts 28, 30-31. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him. This is where he's waiting to die, by the way. Boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about Adonai Yeshua Mashiach, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and no one tried to stop him. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's teaching them about the Lord with a boldness, and he's doing it openly, and he's not being hindered. He's going to die anyway. What's the point? Just do it. Get it done. See, that's the war of the spirit that we're in. We're in it right now at the end of the age. We're here. The enemy wants to hinder us from being bold and open about our faith and why we have it and who Jesus of Nazareth is. But the kingdom of God, the love, the compassion, and and the dynamic dunamis that comes with all that is inspiring us to go, to do, and to save. 
Father, I pray that you take this fire. I pray that you take it and you fill your children. I pray that you take it and you spread it. I pray that you confront the, the lies of Asadan and the fallen who rebelled against you. And I pray through the spirit of truth who is in us and walking with us and guiding our words, you destroy their lies. You destroy their works. You set the captives free and you use us to do it. Oh, I know you can show up in dreams and visions, and I know you can do it with angels, but that's why you commissioned us. That's why you sent us. So send us, Lord. Send us. Change us. Clear the path. Give us the provision. Put the fuel in our tank. Let the, let the blessings flow to get the job done. To use a, an expression, let's take the show on the road. Let's show the world like the Book of Acts Church, what they did. Let's get it in motion. I know I want to, Lord. I know I'm fired up. I pray your sons and your daughters who are listening and who will share this with others and who will show up on that day in July, I pray that they'll do it. And I pray that we'll shake the world one last time before you return. I pray that we'll get the same world-shaking influence that the Book of Acts Church had, the boldness to preach no matter what the price, the signs and wonders to follow the word. People get healed, people getting delivered, demons just screaming and leaving right then and there, not having to make an appointment, not having to take them in a back room and hide the people from seeing it, letting them see that it's real, letting them see that Jesus of Nazareth, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's just as he was and just as he will be. That his name is the name above every name, that at his name every knee shall bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Every angel, every demon, every person, everything in the pit must bend their knee, must bow their head to Yeshua, the only begotten Son of God. I pray that, Father. I pray that in the name of your Son. I pray that your spirit's even moving now. And if anybody has wandered off, I pray they find their way back and they be restored to you. And I pray this in his name, Jesus' name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grun. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.